breaking KP with Adam Neberry. Barry Rose, may I take a pause here on the show and just mention 211 weeks in a row we have been providing you with content, not just about wrestling, not just about music, not just about television, movies, pop culture, but life. And speaking of that, Barry, we had a very good reaction uh, after last week's episode where we talked about, oh, dare I say, some marital discourse in our past. And, uh, and recently for you, uh, a little bit back in the ways for me. But we got a nice comment on our uh, page from James Knight. And uh, so I wanted to uh, just send a shout out to James and let him know, Barry, that, uh, you know, not just me and you, but uh, as evidenced by the the messages in his post, the entire group, James, has your back. And they did. And you know what? That that is part of the beauty of it too. So James, we look, we we bear our souls on a weekly basis. And uh, you know, I, I think in some ways for me, you know, being able to have this avenue to open my heart and my spleen probably really helped me through my separation and, and subsequent divorce, which again, I'm waiting for those papers any moment. Uh, now you promised us last week that the papers were going to be delivered. So they, I'm waiting. I know I've signed them. We're past that 90 day waiting period and all that. It's just a question of when it's official and when these are papers and they, and they show up, but, uh, without, without the brothership and without having this podcast to, to vent, to, you know, look for advice and to just, you know, bear my soul, which is what it was. I'm not sure that I would be in the place that I currently am. And it's, to me, it's amazing because when you see, and what James said, it came straight from the heart. I mean, this was legit. This was real. And anybody that's ever been through a separation or a divorce as an adult, it's, it's painful no matter what. You can wrap it up with a bow. You know, as I did, it's amicable. We're friendly. But this is a complete 180 life change, right? There's no other way around it. And you do need to have a support system in, in some form. And when you look at our, at our group and it's, it's 2,000, and let's say, you know, if it's 2,000 members, I would say 1,989 of those are probably male. Maybe we have 11 female. But all of a sudden, all the, all the guys, all these big, burly, football-loving, beer-guzzling, wrestling-loving guys are there essentially doing a Dear, Dear Abby gimmick. They're there offering support. They're, they're offering advice. And that's amazing. That is amazing that, again, we talk about this all the time, Jeff, that when we started, you know, we started the Facebook group four years ago. We didn't know the direction we were really going to go with any of this, right? We had ideas, but who knew? And where this has taken us is to an entirely different level. So, James, the brothership, you have 2,000 guys uh, that do have your back. And as Jeff said, you know, this is, it is such a unique thing. 211 episodes. We have never missed a week in 211 episodes. I did miss two episodes. Some guy from North Carolina and then another guy from the former GM of Witchies. I believe filled in on those two weeks and then I joined, but it's amazing. We've never taken a week off. And for you, that's nothing, Jeff. Let me quickly say for a guy that worked a job for almost 33 years, that's old hat for me, 211 weeks consistently for me, I guess that's 207 weeks consistently. That's a big fucking deal, man. That is a big fucking deal. Actually. There you go. So, 
And, you know, there have been occasionally uh, uh, contract negotiations sure. between uh, uh, the attorneys for Mr. Rose and myself. Uh, you know, sometimes he wants a little pay bump, uh, some, you know, other, uh, you know, in inducements uh, to to stay here as my uh, my co-host. But they've always been settled amicably, much like Barry's pending <laughs> finalization of his divorce. So yes. on this particular show, episode 211, we continue, Barry, to look at the great matches of 1997 this week. Ooh, little surprise. We are going, last week we were number two and number six in the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year poll. This week, Barry, number one and number three. We are going WWE. Was it WWF then or WWE in 1987? I think it was still WWF at that time. So we're going WWF. So right now, I know there's some of you out there just clapping your hands. That was my impersonation of like Chris C and other people like that. Because we're talking WWE. We're talking Bret Hart versus Stone Cold. Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13. And then Barry, Barry Rose's favorite wrestler, Shawn Michaels, taking on the Undertaker, October 5th, 1997, the very first Hell in the Cell match. Besides that, Barry, because we're nothing if not givers, we've talked about that before, Barry, we're going to give you a little bit something more. We're going to give you an interview. Savio Vega, WWF Hall of Famer, still working down in, Barry, as he pronounces it, Puerto Rico, not Puerto Rico. So we're going to be talking to Savio Vega, uh, spending a little time with him. He's got some great stories, including uh, some great ribs that Owen Hart played on him, uh, other stuff like that. I know you're going to look forward to that. But a couple things before we go to our matches, Barry. I want to mention coming soon, next month, it's our next page. Well, what do we have? Patreon uh, 24. Uh, Lou, join us. What's the next one? Patreon 6, 7, 8. What is it? Oh, I believe it's six. Okay. I, I knew I was close. Six, 24, same difference. So we were going over what exactly we could have to entice the listeners, to entice potential new Patreon customers. Barry, you and I have talked about this before. It can now be revealed. The Patreon episode that comes out the first Thursday in November, amongst other things, this won't be the only thing. But amongst other things, Barry Rose, it will be the greatest story ever told. Boom! Boom. Barry, and you have heard this story. Please tell the folks what they will be listening to. I, I will. So this will this will come out. It should be November the 4th, which is the first Thursday of November, two days before the Fan Fest. So we, Jeff shared this as we were in a car ride from Lutz, Florida to Ocala. to have It was dinner. raining. Oh, it was, and even you, who was still living in Florida at the time, said, holy shit, this is really bad, even for Florida. <laughs> it was a fuck. We could not see out the window. I thought we were going to die. We could not see. The wipers are moving a million miles an hour. We couldn't see. So, so I figured a, if we're going to die, I'm going to tell Barry this fucking story. And we had about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, and you told me the story. So we don't want to give away too much. But I know that. So there are there's there's a lot of there's nudity and sex. I believe there's anal sex in this story, if I remember well, correctly. Well, I can neither confirm or deny All right. that. Uh, Kiazan, the Fiazave, the Fiazamly, uh, you know. So uh, so I'm just saying. But if you're if you're ever considering the Patreon in this month. With all of the donations going to uh, the Rape and Incest National Network, we're donating all of our money to that. But if you're really looking for titillating stories about one of your co-hosts of the of this show, 
you're going to want to tune in for next month's Patreon. But uh, this also involves uh, threats of murder, if I'm correct, if I'm remembering uh, all the at, details. At the very at the very minimum. I don't know. Can you get worse than murder? <laughs> no. Murder and anal sex. Who's not going to subscribe? I That's mean, how do you. Stalking. Uh, stalking. You know. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, notes on the car. Uh, and and uh, behavior. I, I'm, I'm just going to say this, Barry. OK. I don't want to give away too much for the listeners. Right. Sure. There may be stories. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, uh, this is. Before I bet the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin a uh, number three. Yes. Uh, we, we, be... <laughs> wait, absolutely. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah, this, this does not way involve before him. Mrs. Bowdrin. Yes. <laughs> but there may be stories of an adulterous nature. I'm not going to confirm oh. or deny. What? But so, uh, in the vernacular of breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, I will be discussing pasta eating. Uh, Barry, are you familiar with that? Uh, pasta eating. Yes, I am. I have used, you eaten much pasta lately? I have not. I have oh, not had pasta yeah. lately. Uh, yes, I. This is. Uh, I am in the Mojave right now, Jeff, where it is. I. It is a desert, and I am dry and parched. So okay. yes. Okay, but it, only in parts of you. Well, <laughs> only the good parts. Yes. Well, before we go to our matches, one <laughs> last little detail, Barry. One thing I know that you love to do, Barry. All right. You love to play a little Florida man or not? Oh. Oh, he didn't know I was going to spring this on him. Are you ready to go, Barry? Oh, I'm excited about this. Absolutely. And here again, we have something that if nothing else has been established, there's been a few things established on this program. Sure. But one thing that's definitely been established is that we are both dog people. Would that be fair to say, Bear? Oh, my God. We're dog people. As a matter of fact, we're, we're and, and you'll find out about this later. We are titling this episode the Aussie Farts episode. Uh, <laughs> wait a little bit later and you'll find out why. But we're both dog lovers, so Barry, our first story, <clears throat> headline, dog pee caused a traffic pole to snap, and it's not the first time. Light pole mysteriously collapsed months ago, and people say they finally know who or what is to blame. Dog pee. The 25-year-old pole snapped at its base and found was found lying in the bushes of a parking lot on February 18th. There was no apparent issues with the quality or installation of the pole, According to news outlets, the average lifespan of a light pole is around 50 years, but the pole collapsed 23 years after it had been installed <laughs> on the street in 1997. So what caused the light pole to snap? Police department reported in July that forensic scientists, they put forensic scientists on this very- <laughs> That's a good use of tax dollars, absolutely. 40 times more urine at the bottom of the pole compared to the amount found in other nearby poles, Barry. Florida or not. This is not uh, technically a Florida man story. It's a Florida, a Florida dog, dog story or not. Story. <sighs> this has, I mean, the fact that that if Florida would would spend money with forensic scientists to determine that there was 40 times the the amount of pee as there are, which means they're they're testing a bunch of these polls for urine. This this has got to be Florida because who else would fucking do this? Like who in God's name would probably put forth the tens of thousands of dollars to determine why the light pole snapped? This has got to be Florida, Jeff. Nah, you know who it is? It's Suzuka, Japan. So why don't you send a note out to Ashley Elena Kamek, who we haven't mentioned, or Floyd McDaniel, who we haven't mentioned in a while, yeah. just appeared on the page the other day, Barry, and find out where the hell is Suzuka, Japan, because apparently there's a real problem with the dogs peeing in that area because they're snapping off the friggin' light poles, Barry. I want all the residents of Suzuka, Japan to go out, open up a window and scream, what the fuck are you doing with my tax dollars right now? <laughs> so... <laughs> 
That's what they should be concerned with. Great That's story, the, though. We do love dog dog story. urine stories. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you never have a, enough dog urine stories. Oh, never. <laughs> nearly, this is the headline, nearly 90 tangled rattlesnakes removed from beneath a woman's home. Wow. A woman who recently called a reptile rescue team about snakes under her home learned that, get ready to shiver, folks, a den of more than 90 rattlesnakes had set up camp there. Reptile Rescue shared photos early this month of tangled masses of rattlesnakes of all sizes. Can you even imagine? Oh. Said Alan Wolf, director of the rescue, this last week I got a call from a lady that said she had snakes under her house. Three hours and 45 minutes later, this is what came out. 59 babies and 22 adults rattlesnakes. Oh, my God, Barry. Wow. Florida or not. And I, I got to tell you, so I, I like snakes. I don't have an issue. I mean, you know, I don't like rattlesnakes. I'm not going to well, fuck with them. Right. But I, I'm, I've always been intrigued by snakes. I'm going to say, and certainly Florida's got a couple different types of, uh, of rattlesnakes. I'm going to say this was not Florida. I'm going to say this was somewhere out west, like, uh, like in New Mexico or in Arizona or California, somewhere out there, somewhere that I think that there might be uh, more of a desert-like atmosphere. Sonoma uh, County, California. Right. Very good. There you go. Now, I know you like to go to Cali, love to go to the In-N-Out and all that kind of stuff. Do you sure. know where Sonoma County is? I believe Sonoma is a little closer to Lou up in Northern California. Would Sweet that be Lou, correct? join us. See if you can offer uh, any stories on that. Barry is 100% correct. Check. Sonoma County is uh, one of the nine Bay Area counties it is north of my home stomping grounds, uh, Marin County, which is right north of San Francisco over the Golden Gate Bridge. Had you heard this story, Lou? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. So, Lou, I'm just going to say keep a watch out where you're at because you never know where those little bastards are slithering around. Uh, yeah. Well, and here, here's what's interesting, Jeff. I am scheduled if I'm still employed at the end of February to be in Palm Springs, California for, for my company's conference, I have checked, there are in and out burgers there. So I'm, I'm happy with that, but I would assume Palm Springs probably has a lot of rattlesnakes. Would you agree with that, Lou? Well, you know, I've been to Palm Springs pretty much one time. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Been to Palm Springs once in my life. Didn't see any uh, I, I snakes. I that sound bite, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. All right, so Barry, what do you say we go to our two matches of the week? Again, we're givers. Two matches this week, folks. By the way, don't get spoiled on that. We're going 1997. Let's talk about our matches of the week. So, Barry, our look at 1997 continues with two more matches because, Barry, we are what? We're givers. We're givers, of course. So uh, so in this particular uh, episode of Breaking Keeping with Veteran and Barry, we are even more than givers because, oh, for you folks out there that aren't fans of the Japanese wrestling, we give you not one, not two. American matches, not only that, WWE matches, Barry. Oh, yes. We'll start first. Barry, the very first ever. Hell in the Cell match. We're talking October 5th, 1997, The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. I love the fact at the beginning of the match that Vince says, oh, and by the way, next week we'll be in Montreal for our big pay-per-view. Please tune in for that. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
Yeah, we all know what's going to fucking happen there. <laughs> yes, so, we do. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, Barry, tell us your thoughts. I know you are nothing if not a huge fan of Shawn Michaels. I believe the quote was, great wrestler, huge douchebag. <laughs> That's like going back to episode four or five. So, it, might, it was episode one, actually, yeah. it might have been. But I think, and I, I'm not sure, I think I said... I don't, I don't know if I even used the word great. I think I said overrated and a douchebag. And the douchebag part, he absolutely, there is, there are, it's like a catalog of douchebaggery, if you, you know what I mean? We're not talking one instance, we're talking a lot. He's and this chapter is chapter one through six of douchebaggery <laughs> in the wrestling world. Yeah, and, and you know what sucks about it is that if I wasn't aware of that, sometimes I go, maybe I would like Shawn Michaels more. It is, as you've said, the deeper you get, the the more you want to run away and pull away from it. But with Sean, it's, you know, it was so hard because I guess his real life persona was a lot like his on-screen persona. And he he really just was a, a douchebag. And, and, you know, it's debatable now whether he is now. As a wrestler, he was, I always thought he was very good, but I, I feel he's definitely been put on a pedestal. And I've stated the reason, so I won't even get into into that. With that being said, this is a very good match. I will say the Shawn Michaels I liked was the one that came back after he had retired. And then he came back. I actually feel he was toned down. Wasn't, it didn't come across as unlikable. I always He found wasn't him, a sexy boy anymore, Bear. He was not. I don't know if you've seen him lately. There was a photo that was released. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it released yesterday? He Did you see it? Follically challenged to be sure. Massive, though. Like, holy shit. So there was a photo with uh, he and Carmelo Hayes. Is that the photo you saw? Uh, it looked like he was working out or something like that. So, and I, I didn't, I didn't watch NXT this past week, but apparently Carmelo Hayes is the new uh, champion, not not the NXT champion, whatever the second uh, title is for singles. And I guess Carmelo is is Shawn Michaels' project, and that he sees a lot of himself in this guy Carmelo Hayes. So there's a photo of Carmelo Hayes with the belt and Shawn Michaels with his arms wrapped around him. And boy, is he going bald, but he's going bald like like a minister who would be 75 years old. Like it's just he is in Baldrin and Barry follicle. uh, I think it's worse, Jeff. And I say that because, yeah, because for me, I do have a bit of a bald spot and I shave my head. I mean, I shave it all the way down, but I've got a bit of a bald spot in the center. He's got that receding hairline but then he's got that like one patch with everything else that's gone around it wait 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 sort of a tom thibodeau look sort of a tom thibodeau look yeah yeah, yeah that's actually because he's got like the massive hair loss on top but he has this like little pad we're talking about the coach of the knicks for you yes. know, people you don't former know. coach of the bulls yes exactly. Yeah, but, but he's got this little like waff of hair like right at the top and yeah. he always keeps it like greased down so it like somehow it enhances <laughs> it it's uh yeah. van gundy Ooh. used to do that too yeah talking hair products here go ahead please yeah we always get off on some fucking side road tangent of something but but with that i i i think there was more of an appreciation for sean michaels from my side after he came back from retirement, I just found him a toned down, but still able to have decent matches. And uh, and yeah, but this is look, this is a good match. And I think what sets the stage and I think what if you really were to look at Shawn Michaels and his career, I think a lot of it's built around uh, big game. Shawn, you know, he he was able, whether it was WrestleMania, SummerSlam, when the big match was on the line 
this guy was able to go out and deliver. And he did. I, I will not absolutely will not take that away from him. This is a, uh, a really good match. And The Undertaker could still go at this stage. You know, that, that's the big thing. Some of those Hell in the Cell matches the last, during The Undertaker's last couple of years, I just thought were brutal. I, you know, I don't know if you saw them, Jeff, and I'm assuming you probably didn't, but I, I just was not a fan. And I believe Shawn Michaels was a second match, right, in The Hell in the Cell in the later years. Not good. But this yeah. match is good. And what I liked about it, too, is that The Undertaker still able to move and he he wrestles a little differently in the fact, I guess, because he's in the cage. And I think the cage initially was designed. The Hell in the Cell was designed to keep out Triple H in China. That was the whole idea behind it. Uh, Shawn Michaels gives The Undertaker a lot and vice versa. The Undertaker gives Shawn Michaels a lot. There's some really great brawling throughout this. And some people have called this, Jeff, and I I pulled this up when I was doing the research on this match today. Some people were calling this the greatest match in the history of professional wrestling. Certainly, we can take a lot of uh, a lot of issue with that and we can prove them wrong in a million ways. A lot of other people were saying the greatest match in the history of the WWE or WWF. I think I can also find fault with that statement. That being said, this is a really good match. And what I like about it, it's got that big game feel to it, Jeff. Well, before I offer my thoughts, is it even the best cage match of all time? Is it even the best Hell in the Cell match of all time? What do you think? No. The answer to both of those questions would be a hearty no. Yeah, because, you know, first of all, when I think of Hell in the Cell, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm shitting on this match because I really like this match, and I'll discuss why in a second. But you know, when I think Hell in the Cell, I think Undertaker and and uh, and Mankind. Absolutely, yeah. that's the that's the go to. And whether in Toto, very good use of the word in Toto there, Barry. I have no uh, idea what that even means, Jeff. Well, well it, you know, in in uh, never mind, because I'm sure whatever I say, someone's going to go. <laughs> he got in Toto wrong, just like. <laughs> but um, yes. I, I think. The sum of the Mankind versus Undertaker match may not have been as good, you know, just offering an argument's sake. If that's the way you feel, there's a couple of spots that were so fucking spectacular that that's what everyone remembers, right. you know? Uh, the image of, of freaking Foley with the tooth coming through his upper lip and, you know, go, flying onto the table. My God, they've broken him in half. Uh, or was it as God is my witness? They broke him in half that. And then when he throws him through the top of the cage, that spot, I mean, you know, the rest of the match could have been fucking complete shit, but that's the stuff you remember. So now all that being said, uh, and, and of course we have, uh, other cage matches that we've discussed that, uh, will, uh, I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I'm going to mention that other cage match that we might mention when we talk about our second match, but I like this match a lot. Shawn Michaels was absolutely a fucking pinball Yep. Just taking bumps left, right, and center, uh, and he couldn't, you know, like, I, I was watching this match, and, you know, we, we've talked about uh, the the Masawa match with Kobashi, and there's spots where you just kind of cringe, and there's a spot where uh, I think The Undertaker throws Shawn Michaels uh, into the cage, and then there's one where he throws him into the ring steps or something like that, and I'm just kind of going, oh, my God, how is that not going to affect the guy the next day or the next week or whatever? It's just brutal. Bury the fucking chair shots to the head. And, you know, sometimes we forget about how brutal the chair shots were during this time period. And you just like go, okay, that guy's, he's going to have some sort of residual damage, you know, somewhere down the line. That's going to, you know, like 
when when he doesn't remember his name 30 or 40 years from now, you can point right towards that match and and that shot that he took there. You know, and it's just it's horrible. So the other thing the match was also well known for, uh, it was the debut of Kane. He came out for the finish uh, and uh, took the Undertaker out, which by the way, another another massive chair shot. So uh, Shawn Michaels gets the win, which sets him up for the aforementioned Montreal pay-per-view against Bret Hart. But let's talk about the characters of Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels and Triple H both coming out to the ring. And you mentioned the word douchebaggery. So there are great heels and there are great heels that you know, maybe not just playing a role here. (laughs) That's kind of what I figured (laughs) with, with Triple H and with Shawn how much of what they were doing was playing heels and how much of it was like a shoot that they really were these big, this big assholes. What do you think? Uh, I think that they really were assholes. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think there's, I don't, you read all these stories and let, let, you know, with everything, you've got to look for the grain of truth. Right. But if you're presented with 20 stories and it, they're, whether they're making the observer, the torch or whatever, whatever the news source was, you know, it, if one of those stories are legit, then you're looking at a guy who's a real asshole. And I heard a story, and I'm, I don't, we don't have the time, but there was a story from a, a few years back when Shawn Michaels went to the CAC and his his diva-like behavior that yeah. occurred there. So yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And you know, we uh, it, it's funny. Uh, I was uh, going back and listening to another uh, former episode going way back, and we were discussing. And so let, let's put this in context with Shawn Michaels, not so much with uh, Triple H because he's not part of this match really. And the match that I was talking about was the uh, Lex Luger versus Ricky Steamboat match, or that we were talking about, excuse me. And one of the questions that you and I were both kind of, you know, uh, throwing uh, what what do you call uh, shade. Throwing a little no, shade. no, no, like we're, no. we're bou- bouncing. That's what I'm looking for. Right. We're bouncing the idea off of one another was whether Lex Luger was overrated because he was a bad wrestler or because he was kind of an asshole during the certain time period. So Shawn Michaels, could we compare the Shawn Michaels of this time frame to Lex Luger in the sense that because he was regarded almost universally as being a huge asshole, did we sort of like overlook the greatness of Shawn Michaels because we were too busy being blinded by how big an asshole he was. So that would only be the smart marks, which we are smart marks that I I think the average fan wasn't looking at the fact that Shawn Michaels was a douchebag. I think that's, I think this is why Shawn Michaels from that era is revered and, and many consider Shawn Michaels the greatest of all time because it was an era in which there wasn't a lot of great matches. You know, I was at, was it WrestleMania 10? I was at the only WrestleMania that I've attended in person. It was at Madison square garden in 1994. And it was, Owen uh, versus Brett, right? No, it was Shawn Michaels versus it was, right. It was Owen versus Brett. Correct. And, and it was also Shawn Michaels versus uh, Razor, Razor Ramon. Ramon in the ladder match, which I think was one of the, the first time they may have done a ladder match, the WWF. And, uh, and, and there was a lot of that behavior that was taking place there, but the rest of the card was for the most part, it, it was brutal, Jeff. Like it was like, it was oh, all the and, shit that we hate, you yeah, know? And, and one of the things that people said, have said about Bret Hart is part of the reason why Bret Hart was so revered was because he was like this, uh, He's a wrestler amongst a bunch of shit. Yeah. He, yeah. There were so many crappy wrestlers at that time Stupid that Bret, that didn't even wrestle. 
Brett and Sean shined above everything yep. because they were the guys that were putting on the good matches, literally, you know, especially on the big shows, but pretty much on a nightly basis, you could count on those guys, whether they were wrestling themselves or somebody else, having a good match, a match that would make you uh, say, okay, I'm glad I came out to this show. Uh, and on a, a show like you mentioned, like a WrestleMania or a big pay-per-view, that's where you know these guys are going to fucking bring it and right. they're going to make you know make it worth my money. So, uh, yeah, so I think the whole asshole factor uh, is something that we uh, have to take into account because, uh, you know, when you generally go into a match personally not liking somebody and then they have a really good match like this one, you kind of sit there and you go, yeah, yeah, he's still a fucking asshole. But it was a good match, you know, and and you got to give the devil his dues. And holy cow, did he bleed buckets here, Barry, or what? Good he, Lord almighty. He did. And, and here's the other, you know, again, we I think we can be really fair about this without a blanket statement that he was a dick. And that's why we don't like him. But Sean, as you said, he was a pinball. He was a bump machine. He bled. Everything about this match, Shawn Michaels laid out 110%. And he, you know, he had really good matches. I I've always been under the contention. What would Shawn Michaels, if we had dropped Shawn Michaels into the NWA or WCW before he became a star, would he have still become a star? Would they have seen the potential and made him a star? I do think having the Vince McMahon push behind him because Vince, obviously huge fan. I, I think that was all part of it, but Jeff, Let's answer this age-old question, which I see pops up not only in our group, but literally all over Facebook, time to time. Brett or Sean? Oh, I'm always going Brett. And and part of it is, uh, I think, and being honest, I, I think it was part of the character. The fact that this guy had grown up in a wrestling family, yep. you know, uh, he was a lifer in the business. He, he lived the business, protected the business. He seemed like more of a, and I liked him when he was part of the Heart Foundation. I liked him when they made him a baby face. And I loved him when he started doing the uh, USA Sucks and uh, Canada's number one shit. Oh, my God. That was my favorite Bret Hart of all. And, you know, it, it's really too bad that he had the unfortunate accident. And I think in hindsight, the whole decision, uh, taking out of the equation the fact that his career was ended by a, a wayward boot to the head. Uh, that's being very kind there to Bill Goldberg. Do you want to discuss Bill Goldberg by any chance? I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you even have the context, Jeff, to even discuss Bill Goldberg because I know that you really don't watch any. This guy to me is one of the greatest shams ever laid upon the wrestling public, and certainly there have been quite a few that have happened over the years. I, for the life of me, don't get it. I don't see it. I watched him on Raw. I don't know a week ago, week and a half ago, deliver a promo. I just, for the life of me, don't understand any of the appeal at this stage of Bill Goldberg. And I got to say, I don't think he connects with the audience. I don't think the audience sees an appeal. I understand it 20, 25 years ago. I didn't like it, but at least I understood it. Currently, I don't get it at all. Well, let me ask you a question. Bigger creation by Eric Bischoff, the NWO, which, by the way, was a stolen gimmick from Japan, but I digress. Or Bill Goldberg. What do you think? Well, I, Goldberg, in the sense that, as you just said, they, the NWO, they, they, they lifted that, the bl fucking blueprint, they lifted directly from Japan. Yeah, but uh, in fairness to Eric, he it. definitely took it and he made it into something, you know. With uh, Bill Goldberg, Jeff, they took a guy who was jacked up, 
who was intense and couldn't wrestle to save his fucking life. And they, and they through careful booking, they made this guy arguably in his day, the big, I don't know for how long, the biggest star in us professional wrestling. Conversely, because they were such fuck ups, they also fucked that entire thing up dramatically. And in my opinion, you ruined that whole aura of Goldberg. But I got to say, as a basic creation, they did. They took a guy who clearly I don't think even belonged to even deserved to even be in a ring. And they made him this unbeatable champion. Would Bill Goldberg, could you see a comparison? And I understand this is a national stage as opposed to a territorial stage. You're also dealing with a white guy versus a black guy. But was Bill Goldberg and the way they built him up and protected him and created him, was he essentially WCW's version of JYD in in, uh, Mid-South? Very similar as far as huge musclehead guy, didn't have a lot of wrestling ability, but they booked him absolutely perfectly and created a, an incredible star. That's that's sort of the yeah, context. There, there's a lot of, I, I would say JYD, I mean, certainly Goldberg on a worldwide level was no, no, JYD, but that if you've ever seen J, which I know you have, and, and I know that a lot of our listeners have, if you've ever seen JYD at, in his prime at his peak in Mid-South, it was that is it, that's something that just doesn't occur. It's magic uh, when that occurs. Goldberg was a very careful, uh, laid out you know plan on how we're going to get this guy over, and and it worked. And I got to give them credit for that. JYD was one of these things that I think they lucked into. I don't think at any stage that Bill Watts was like, yeah, I'm going to take Sylvester Ritter and make him a huge star. I think he lucked into it. I think he saw him. And Watts was so smart, Jeff. I mean, you and I both know Watts was a genius. I, I think he was able to pick up that that this guy is really connecting with the crowd. And more importantly, the crowd's really connecting with him. And, yeah. and he's going to push him to the moon. So and it, I will say, interesting unlike, question. Yeah. In, unlike Bill Goldberg, JYD never thought that he was legitimately a tough guy. You know, because like, Goldberg showing up at UFC and think, you know, like standing there like uh, like he's some kind of fucking UFC. It really, dude. I hate it. And Jeff, if yeah. you don't see him now, every time they they do a close up of his face, he does this twitch, like this tough guy. He's so tough he has to twitch, yeah. and it's just so bogus and phony. I can't stand it. What he's doing in a ring at this stage, and the fans don't give a shit. I mean, the fans, you know, mo- the, the well, how old audience, is the guy now? He's in his fifties, but his peak was over 20 years ago. And those fans have moved on. They have kids. They're not, you know, this isn't the current WWE audience. I think that's a huge misstep in bringing him in, but I'm praying to God that in a week and a half after he has his match with Bobby Lashley in Saudi Arabia, which is a whole nother topic we can get into. uh, (laughs) Exactly. That I from the undertaker versus Sean. God, you ever stay on topic? Is there ever a, But yes. anyway, so we will post a link to the uh, aforementioned Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker Hell in the Cell from October 5th, 1997. Uh, it is a, a really good match. Tons of blood from Shawn Michaels. Absolute bump taking uh, extraordinaire by Shawn Michaels. Greatest match in wrestling history? No. Yeah. Greatest cage match in wrestling history? No. Greatest Hell in the Cell match in history? Well, Maybe that can be discussed and maybe that can be debated. I still do not think so because I'm going with Mankind versus Undertaker. But I can understand if someone thinks this is the greatest. By the way, this did not even win match of the year in the Observer. It was number three. Hadn't mentioned that yet, Barry. So 
Now that we have mentioned the number three match in 1997 Wrestling Observer Yearbook uh, end of end of year poll, and I know how much you like to be polled, Barry. Oh, I like a good poll. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's go to the number one match in 1997's Wrestling Observer Match of the Year poll. Oh, we are talking Brett the Hitman Hart versus Steve Austin, Old Stone Cold himself, the Rattlesnake, WrestleMania 13, March 23rd, 1997. Barry, what did you think about this match? So I love this match. I think this is this might be in my from a WWE standpoint, WWF. Maybe my, I know you love it. Yeah, it it's one of my top ten matches from that promotion ever. And it, first off, and th- this really does raise a good point as you just talked about Shawn Michaels and Luger. Do I like this match better because I like both of these guys? Fair you know what me. I mean? So yeah, there's a lot that it, you know we have to think about with that. But this is a great match. And what I liked about this match is, unlike the other match that we discussed, which essentially was the blow-off, this is not the blow-off. This is really the rise of Stone Cold here. You know, he's in the beginning stages of this this rise of Ozzy. Ozzy's farting. (laughs) He's a good boy. Ozzy. Oh, my gosh. I just took him for a walk just before we started recording. Come for the Bret Hart, Steve Austin talk. Stay for Ozzy farting. Yeah, yeah. That's it's what happens when you feed your dog Beefarino, right? Ah, yes. Yeah. Seinfeld re- reference there of the you episode. Go. You got it. I but, got uh, it. This is a great match, Jeff. And, and what I like about this match, first off, I love the buildup and I love the setup for this match. The fact that there was such a great story involved with this match. And then the ending of this match, in my opinion, and I would like to know, first off, Bret Hart, Stone Cold, and even Ken Shamrock, who is the special guest referee, all three do a great job. But whoever the road agents were involved in this match, because that visual at the very end of this match, which everyone knows, it's iconic. Bret Hart's got Austin locked into the sharpshooter. Austin won't submit. He's bridging up. And he's covered in blood and just has a look on his face. And it's such a great, iconic moment. Everything about it works, though. There's, pardon God me. bless you. Yeah, it's one of those one of those days for me, I can Apparently, see. Apparently, Ozzy's not the only gassy member Ozzie. of the family. <laughs> That's what, once I start farting in this room, Ozzy will move <laughs> in the other room, and I know it. I, I really like this up, too. And I, I like I like what happens, and I, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it 24 years later, but after Brett is declared the winner because Austin refuses to submit, passes out, the crowd is now heavily cheering Austin. And I think that's all due to like, they realize what a tough son of a bitch this guy was after the match Hart turns full out heel viciously attacking Austin and Shamrock actually gets up, gets involved and, and saves Austin. He kind of pulls Brett Hart away and separates him and everything. But everything about this match works. You know, there's nothing about this match that doesn't. And I like this for match of the year because this, I don't, there, you know, you look at this and you and I were talking off air yesterday. If I was doing a Mount Rushmore of wrestling angles over the last 25 years or so, how is this not on that Mount Funkin' Rushmore, right? How could it not be, Jeff? No, no, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, the here's the thing. That, that I want to ask you and I want the uh, the listeners to think about. Was this match really the best match of 1997 or was it the best match of 1997 because of the match, because of the announcing, which we'll get into, was tremendous, 
And because of the the, the double turn storyline, plus where it took the promotion for years after that, with Austin becoming the 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 face of the promotion essentially, uh, and just going to unseen heights as a babyface, he, he eclipsed fucking Hogan as the greatest babyface in the history of the WWE. Uh, so, which one of those would you think would be it? Is it the match, or is it the match plus everything else? It's the match plus everything else. Look, a match is a match. But as we've talked, you could have the greatest match on the face of the earth. And if your crowd doesn't give a shit, it's going to bring your match dramatically down. There's so much around this match, the pre the history of what was taking place leading up to this match, everything that came after this match, the match itself, the ending, which, again, is such an iconic ending. It's all this wrapped up that makes this a match of the year. Is it technically the greatest match of the year? I doubt it but it's everything else involved with. Yeah, because like at, for comparative sake, you know, last week we talked about Kobashi versus Masawa, which came in number two. And actually, as I said, then had more first place votes. Was this match itself better than Masawa and Kobashi? I don't think so. But if you want to include all those other variables that we, we mentioned, I, I could understand why this match finished number one. There's no question about it. So let's talk about the announcing. You had Jim Ross, Vince, and Jerry Lawler on the call. And these guys usually, you know, Barry, you've mentioned it. You know, we don't like three-man booths. This was an example of a three-man booth absolutely working because what you had was you had, uh, first of all, Jerry Lawler sort of laying the seeds of discontent for Bret Hart by, you know, like going, oh, yeah, he's a whiner. He's a, you know, he's always yep. complaining about something. Okay, you had that. You had Vince doing the usual uh, slightly over-the-top play-by-play. Uh, and that, but that I love, and then you have Jim Ross throwing out the uh, the occasional uh, gems and pearls. Uh, one of one of the great quotes, by the way, uh, from Jim Ross, giving credit where it's due during this match, is when he talks about, "By God, this is wrestling. These two guys are going out there, they're competing." And he says, and I quote, "This is not about posing, and it's not about covering a bald spot," which I just <laughs> was absolutely may have been the quote of the that year that year. That was just fucking hilarious. Yeah. So as I made a note of this, I said, this is a great match, but it's a better story. Uh, so you're absolutely right about that. So now let me ask you this. We, uh, we talked about Shawn Michaels. We compared Shawn Michaels to Lex Luger. So when you talk about a great match that also has the benefit of great announcing, a great storyline, maybe a great angle, and the effects it has on the promotion after the fact, tell me whether or not you think this is a valid comparison. Would you compare the Bret Hart and Steve Austin match from WrestleMania 13 to Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich in a cage, December 25th, 1982? So what's your comparison with that? What's the, the comparison is the fact that they were both really good matches, but you had the combination of the angle that takes place during the match, right? the turn that happens, the effect it has on the promotion after the fact, because, you know, let's face it, World Class had about a two or three year run based on that great angle. And the fact that uh, here you had the double turn with Brett and Austin, where Austin takes the place and becomes the face of the promotion for how many years, you know, and right. becomes the biggest baby face in the history of the promotion. I'm, I'm using those that uh, the comparison that way for for the fact that, you know, maybe maybe that Flair versus I said uh, the Flair versus Kerry wasn't even the best. Flair versus Kerry match of all time. And was Brett versus Austin 
the greatest wrestling match in the history of the WWF or WWE? No, maybe not. But everything that encompassed what was going on with the turn, the announcing that was done, the the effect it had on the promotion, you, you see where I'm going there? Like, right. That's how I would compare the two matches. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think I think that cage match. I think the angle with that too. Boy, did I love that angle. But who didn't love that angle? The one with the uh, the one in world class. I think the Austin. It, 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 it's a good comparison, absolutely. I think the Austin thing is bigger, just based off of the scale. Oh of no, of course, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just talking more about you know. Obviously, we're talking with a territory versus a national promotion. Sure. But I mean, just you know, both matches that I'm I'm using as comparison had a tremendous effect on uh, on either promotion. And, uh, you know, the fact that there were, that part of what made the match so great, so memorable, were the turns that were done. And, uh, you know, the way that they just kept, you know, wow, uh, um, Brett is being such a whiner and such a jerk. And in the match with Kerry and Ric Flair, if you remember, the great and legendary Bill Mercer, one of the things he kept doing in that match was going, I don't understand. Michael Hayes is being a, a little too aggressive as the referee. However, I will say one thing that we did not have was that Ken Shamrock, unlike a special referee in world class, did not go shirtless. You no, know, and, and Ken Shamrock. Remember Michael Hayes and Kerry yeah. going shirtless as referee. And, and ironically, Ken Shamrock could have gone shirtless. Yes, he absolutely could have. <laughs> yeah, he did it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, two great matches. Again, the Brett and Austin match ended up being voted number one. For the match of the year in 1997, we are going to next week conclude our special look at the great matches of 1997. Uh, Barry doesn't know what the matches are yet. Love to spring them on him so that he can sit there and go, oh, fuck, another 40-minute match. Good. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. so we will look at two more great matches from the Wrestling Observer Top 10 next week. This week, we talked about uh, the number one match of the year and the number three match of the year. So uh, good stuff from 1997, Barry. Yeah, great stuff, and uh, it's kind of fun to go back, and it's hard hard for me to believe, Jeff. Where were you in 1997? What were you doing? I was separating from my uh, second wife. And, oh, was uh, that in 97? Yeah, I was oh. I was going to live in the room that a woman rented out. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and by the way, that story may be coming up very soon. I hear those stories, and it's somebody that we know, a certain lawyer who lived in Orlando— when he got a divorce, he also, he rented a room and I, I, it sounded like it was like some sort of halfway house. And, uh, yeah. So I hear those stories. And at that point I look at my surroundings when I got divorced and I'm grateful that <laughs> I didn't have to go live <laughs> in some halfway house, you know, I'm extremely grateful about for that. So, yes. So Barry joining us today, uh, once again, we're very pleased and happy and thankful to, uh, Nick Massey for hooking us up with Savio Vega wwe wrestling legend sir how you doing today how you doing how you doing guys and thank you for having me here i'm great i'm here in the warm and let's see a lot of lot of uh, clouds around raining here there but i'm here in the island of puerto rico puerto rico barry not puerto rico i can't do that that whenever (laughs) i hear people that can feel like that i can't do that (laughs) listen uh i make fun of uh me me too before because uh, the guys, uh, when they're gonna try to talk, speak, you know, English, when they do somebody do interviews, they go, uh, "Where are you from? I'm from Puerto Rico." I said, "What do you mean Puerto Rico? What is that? It's Puerto Rico, you know." <laughs> and, uh, and the other the other day, we have a kid here, Aiden Grimm, great guy, uh, future superstar, uh, and, and he did an interview, and he went like, a, "I'm from Puerto Rico," you know. I said, "I said, what is that? 
oh, oh Puerto Rico, no, Puerto Rico, so, but say Puerto Rico, you know, and, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the way, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I always like to say, let's start at the beginning. Young Savio Vega, when you were just a youngster, what was it that made you want to get into professional wrestling? Who did you, who were you into that you saw on TV or saw at the arena? What made you get interested in pro pro wrestling? Man, it's a story that I've been told many, many times. And and it's it's like every time that I, that I said it, man, it's like a, wow. And I go back to, to, you know, I transport, I transport myself there. This is a Sunday. It was a Sunday. I, I, I'm like, uh, I don't know, maybe 12, maybe less. I don't know. Uh, I was too big for my age. And uh, looking this Sunday, 5 o'clock, I ha- we have a, a small black and white TV uh, that we have in the house. And that, that one run the whole, the whole house. So I, I pick him up from my parents' room, and I put him in my room, and I'm surfing for channels. So right there was starting Titans of the Ring, Titanes in the Ring from Argentina. And uh, when, uh, when I put that in Channel 7, local here, I, I just went shocked. That something went through my eyes and stayed somewhere in my brain, if I have some, and I stay there, uh, you know, it's hiding somewhere. Well, the point here is uh, every Sunday at 5 o'clock, I have to watch this. And listen to these characters. The characters there was real, real characters. You have the Formula One STP guy coming with real Formula car, you know, pushing by other people. No, he has the costume. He has everything. Then you have uh, a character from the Bible. You have uh, the mummy, the white mummy, and you have the black mummy. I mean, actually, you have the characters taking place inside the ring and wrestle. And you have Martin Caravacian, which is a shorty guy. He's the owner, white hair and black beard. And he always give you a forearm and that's it. That's the finish. One, two, three, get out. And uh, every time I watch this, man, I, I, I got so excited. In the school, I talk to my friends and I say, guys, uh, uh, you watching this, this wrestling, blah, blah, blah. He say, well, it's, it's another wrestling in this other TV uh, station. I say, oh, yeah. So I start watching it, too. It's a local wrestling at the beginning. You know, they're doing what we uh, watched for many years uh, in the 70s and the 80s. And, and this local wrestling here got big, big time popular. Carlos Colon, Abdullah the Butcher, Ox Baker, uh, Alfa Sica, blah, blah, blah. So watching this, these guys, I got more in love in wrestling. One day I visited one of the buildings and I noticed I have two cousins and I mean, two uncles and one cousin working as a security. So I get close to them, talk to them, and I say, well, uh, I got my trance already to come to, to every, every arena. So uh, every Saturday, I bothered them to take me to the arena. And uh, then I went to for free. When I got a little bit uh, age, I started working with them as a security. And uh, like I say, I was too big for my age in that, by that time there. And uh, man, easy was, was something that I that I be close to the ring and closer and closer and closer until one day Isaac Rosario, he passed away last year. Uh, Isaac Rosario saw me uh, in one of the small shows around the uh, the area, and he said, "Hey man, you you good wrestler? I'm gonna talk to Carlos." So I, I went like, "Oh my God!" I was working with them as a security, like I said before, and they don't know that I wrestle till this guy saw me. And uh, he talked to Carlos. They invited me for do TV. Then from that point on, 
I was on TV every week, every week, every week. They sent me to Louisiana. They sent me to Mexico. I come back here. I did the, the character TNT. Then from TNT, uh, wrestling Japan with uh, here in Puerto Rico with Razor Ramon. Let's go home. And then uh, uh, he uh, he talked to Vince. Uh, so they gave me the job in, in WWF in late 94 till, till 1999. So, so you, you grew up in, and you were able to see a lot of these guys like Abdullah the Butcher and Carlos Colon as a kid. So fast forward a few years later, what was it like, you know, sitting in the in ringside or sitting in the arena and watching these guys? And then all of a sudden, a few years later, you're actually working with them. What was that like for you? Crazy, crazy! I'm telling you, it's like a, a, you know, from the TV, I run to the seats, from the seats as a security, from security inside the ring. You know, it's like a what the hell is happening here? You know, so that's why I always say, as I say, that's my destiny. My destiny was to do that because I was looking for. I love what I'm doing for many, many years, and uh, I continue to do it. You know, people are asking me, when are you going to retire? I say, we're going to retire when I die. When I'm dead, that, now I'm going to retire. So far, uh, you know, I, I love more production. Uh, I have my own promo, promotion here in Puerto Rico, IWA Puerto Rico. And, uh, man, I love what I'm doing. I, I like to work behind the scenes more than a ring. The people know who I am now. So I don't need to be in the ring all the time. But I, I go in the rain once in a while. But man, it's crazy. Like I said, be uh, in the for the TV, then see yourself in the rain is something else. Well, let me ask you. You mentioned working Louisiana, so I suppose I have to ask you what it was like working with Bill Watts. Right. When I when I, I to be honest, the only wrestling that we watched here in Puerto Rico was uh, from Atlanta, uh, WCW. Uh, in the in the 80s, you know, uh, uh, Crockett and all that, and and we watch it by cable, and not not everybody have the cable. I I, I have to see it. I, I watch it right at the uh, building in the arena. Uh, they have a club there, and and I watch WCW uh, from there. WWF wasn't even uh, show up here in Puerto Rico. Now who's 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 booking me in Louisiana is uh, Luke Williams. The, the, the sheep owners. Gotcha. Okay. He's the one. Yeah. He's the one, uh, book me over there before it was for Tennessee. Tennessee got canceled because Bill Dundee was moving from Tennessee to, to Louisiana and he want to send me with him. So uh, I was there for almost four months. My English was worse than now. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and, uh, now it's worse I'm telling you. And so uh, I work I work over there before uh, the big names start moving to uh, Vince. So when I arrived there, I, I got Ted DiBiase there, Ginger Dog, uh, Jim Dogan, Jay the Snake, uh, you name all those superstars was uh, in Louisiana territory. But that's fantastic. In uh, working with Bill Watts, I learned that he loved this wrestling big time. And so of course, his his uh, his uh, 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 company because he want everything that looks solid, that look very very real. And uh, hey, I work with him uh, over there because I come with the mask calling El Corsario, and uh, I I come in a Superdome. That was my first night 
to come in, give him a kick, and leave. You know, and uh, that's what I what that's what I did. Man, I have a good, great experience. Skandar Akbar, Kamala, you know, with all those guys there. Uh, man, my first territory, I was I was like a kid in Disney. Well, let me ask you. Before I, I throw it back to Barry, were you in Louisiana? Somebody wanted me to ask you this. When uh, Butch Reed had the fight with Nord the Barbarian? No, no. Uh, I believe maybe that happened after because when I was there, Nord, uh, no, he wasn't there. Okay. He what about where you? That, in... that should happen when after. Yeah. Okay. Were you there when um, Muhammad Ali came to the Superdome uh, with the J- uh, Jake Roberts? Versus the uh, the snowman match. Were you there for that? Uh, no, I don't remember that neither. Because okay. I was they they keep me they keep me yeah, they keep me on the side. Uh, my English is oof, like I told you, bad. And uh, no, I, I don't remember that Ali was there because the house was a good house. But I believe with, with Ali there, maybe was a bigger bigger house. But I, I'm not sure if it was that uh, that night. Okay, I just wanted someone wanted wanted me to ask you, so I thought I'd check. Barry, it's to you. Okay. Absolutely, and you know what, we're Jeff, we're we're very excited today. We're having Savio, Ve- whether you call him Savio Vega, TNT, even Quang, or El Corsario, uh, this is Steel. this is a big Steel. deal. Here, here, here in Puerto Rico now, Tio is T I O T O Savio Vega, like an uncle Savio. Okay, that's what the fans start calling me. Yeah, but very I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And he has got a couple big appearances coming up with our old friend, the captain himself, yeah. Nick Massey. Nick is a great friend of our show. Uh, coming up on October the 23rd, which is a Saturday, uh, you can do the Captain's Corner Happy Hour Live with Savio Vega. These are always a lot of fun, Jeff. These take place over the Internet. Uh, the fans can text Captain directly. Uh, They can do all types of autograph signings. There's merchandise. Very exciting. But the big event, and I'm going to be there for this, Jeff. Savio, I'm going to be there for this. I am coming up to Connecticut. uh, Taking place Sunday, October the 24th, the Double Tree Hartford. uh, And we can get you directions to that. Savio Vega will be there uh, making his, uh, his, I guess you're making your Connecticut debut You'll be working with ESS Promotions. We're very excited to yes. see you. Great talent out this at this event. Not only Savio Vega, but last week we had on Jacques Rougeau with us. He'll be there. Nice. Bob Franklin, Sergeant Slaughter. Th- this is just a fantastic event. Make your plans. I believe it starts at 10 a.m. October the 24th. If you can't get to Connecticut, check our Facebook page or check the Captain's Corner Facebook page. You definitely want to be able to interact with some of these guys. So we had on we had on Jacques Rougeau with us last week, Savio, and nice. uh, Jacques was a great guest. And one of the questions I asked him, and I'm going to st- I'm going to throw this out to you, was the women in Montreal, Canada, I think are some of the most beautiful women in the world. However, I've been to Puerto Rico, and I have said this on air before, Jeff. <laughs> Are there more beautiful women in the world than the women who are in Puerto Rico? I'm not quite sure that any more beautiful women exist. Savio, what do you think about that? Man, man, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover with women. I love women. Uh, you know, a fan when you put when you push the button in the back for the fan and the fan goes start moving left and right. Uh-huh. That's what happened here in Puerto Rico. You look like a <laughs> <laughs> a, a windshield wiper. I mean, uh, uh, you know, left and right, left and right. It's, it's hard. 
you know, I was I was getting ready to go to the supermarket. Thank you, called me, and uh, and uh, you know, I go into the supermarket. I already prepare myself, to be right. honest, because <laughs> I mean, uh, short, tall, left and right. I mean, you name it, man. And and you got this big butt booties walking around. It's like a man, you know. Absolutely. I'm in the right place. Why? Why you? So, so are you, Savio? That's Sabio, the question. <laughs> You like big butts and you cannot lie. Is that what you're saying? I cannot lie. I mean, right. I cannot lie. I can't, I'm can't, just going to say, I'm not, I'm not saying that Barry's working you with his comments about Puerto Rican women, but he's also told me that he loves the women of Nebraska. So <laughs> <laughs> nobody's well, ever said it, that. It, it, Jeff, that, right? <clears throat> that. That's why, that's why I say, you know, I'm a, I'm a super lover woman because i mean everywhere they're beautiful i mean they're they're beautiful women's are beautiful i mean sometimes they have a little cheap they're come damaged and they got kind of a cycle but i mean that's life <laughs> hey, what the heck we don't do anything exactly. about that Barry. What's it, what do we care if they're psycho or not that makes them even more attractive <laughs> yeah right? oh so, yeah it's exactly. that woman they're beautiful the only well, thing I get with Puerto hey, Rican women, they really are beautiful. And there's a there's a, a sexiness about them that I don't think maybe Dominican women, too. Some Dominican women are pretty hot. Oh, but, my God. Right. Beautiful but too, yeah. the temper on Puerto Rican women do Ooh. not fuck with a Puerto no. Rican. Woman, right. No, do not. Do not. Guys, guys, yeah. do not mess with a Puerto Rican woman. If you want to be, a, you know, you're going to marry one one of these days. You know, you never know. Be loyal. Be a no hundred, a thousand percent lawyer. Because just one, <laughs> one tip of, of air that touch you illegal, she's going to cut you both off. So, you know, so <laughs> you don't want to walk around with a bull. Barry, I have a little surprise to throw at Savio because there's Uh-oh. something that we Ooh. have in common. Savio and I, that he does not know about that. I'm going to spring on him right now. Right. Savio, you and I have in common the 1987 All Japan Tag Team Tournament. I was in Japan for the All Japan you Tournament. There? I was, and you teamed oh with Abdullah God. the Butcher as TNT. Yes, yes. So tell that me was your memories. my first tour. Yes, tell me your memories of that uh, tour. Th- th- yes, of course. Uh, it's a Sunday. We go into Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, to wrestle, and uh, the office already told me go, go, you know, go pick one of the the Americans, you know. Uh, help us in, in that. So I went to pick up, I don't know who, <laughs> can remember. Oh, whoever I went to pick up already jumped in a car with somebody else. So I, I, I drove half an hour for nothing. But Abdullah, he say, hey, come on. So yes, I say, you want to go to Japan? And I say, of course, yes. He said, well, let me talk to Carlos. Let, let's see what happened here. I say, yeah, I'd love to go to Japan. He's, you know, I always hear about Japan, blah, blah, blah. Well, the show come, here I am. Tell me, please, and correct me. I always may be lying to the people because I don't know that part, but you, you maybe know. Did that was the biggest tournament ever, that one right there? Well, they had, they had an they annual have, tournament every year. I know, I know, I know. But, like, so many stars, like, that, that tournament? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was a crazy tournament, Very, very uh, a lot of big Man. names. Oof, you, you got uh, you got Brody, you got Snuka, Hansen, Teddy Gordy, the Young Bloods was there too. I the mean, Funks. man, Abdullah, that yeah, the Funks. Listen, that that was the uh, tournament in where I have the I put my foot up to uh, <clears throat> Mr. 
uh, oh my God, well, ba- Judge and Baba, I give him the sidekick on on him. I don't know if you guys see that that photo or that video. It's on it's on YouTube. Uh, it's Judge and Baba and Wajima against Abdullah and TNT, and you could see the the one of the spot. I give him uh, Baba a kick right there in the jaw, and uh, I mean that was like a wow, the first time ever uh, to do that to uh, to Baba, and uh, man. He loved that so much. He, he requested me for the next month. We went there like, what's like a December, I believe so. In January, they bring me the whole month again. And I was happy for that, you know. Nice, yeah. Uh, but, but Japan, I love Japan, my friend. Ooh, nice place. What, yeah. what was it like? Yeah. What was it like working with Wajima? So Wajima was a uh, had a very, I believe, was a sumo wrestler, if I'm correct. Sumo, yeah. And had a very short career. Wasn't in pro wrestling. <laughs> never took to yeah. it. What was it like working with him? Man, working with him is like a, you try to 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 wrestle a bull to move him. He's so hard. The way you see it, he's so hard. But maybe because this this you know sumo training, no. But uh, was kind of a hard to work with him because he was already older and uh, he don't do too much. You could see in the video there. Uh, but he was very t- big time popular. I remember he did the uh, the spot with Abdullah like a sumo. Ooh, the people love that. Uh, uh, was was very very nice. Was smart way uh, Abdullah to take him, you know, that way and uh, and uh, do the spot with him. But man, Wajima was strong, strong person. Yes. Yeah. No, Barry. I remember when Wajima debuted with All Japan. He was like the biggest star in sumo. Right. And he came into pro wrestling. And you think about it, it would be like the equivalent of like somebody, uh, you know, like uh, Mike Trout from baseball or something like that, going into pro wrestling. But what Baba did, and I remember seeing the photos of this, to make him part of the company and not like automatically just make him the main eventer, which uh, I think we know a few promotions that might do that. But Baba almost like humbled him because there were photos of him like washing Baba's back, uh, you know, like uh, okay. sort of. Making him like start he, from the beginning. Like he was a, a young boy. He was a young boy. Yes, exactly. And that's the way that he was yeah, treated, yeah, even yeah. though he was a big star in another sport. Yeah. They, you know what? That, that, that was my first time seeing that. We are in some arena. I believe it was the Karaku Hall, maybe. maybe. It could be, yeah. Uh, or some other arena. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe another arena. I, I was in, uh, uh, we finished uh, the match, and I went to the showers. When I saw Baba standing up here with the arms to the side and two two guys, two young boys watching him there, I'm like, a, what the heck? You know, so I say, OK, this tradition, of course, uh, the, the big Chacho uh, owner, uh, you know, uh, being treated. You know, and I say, wow, that, that's that's beautiful. That's nice. Yeah, no. And that was definitely a tradition in, in Japan. Like you said, they became young boys and they had to work their way very slowly up the ladder. Yes. Yes, I, and they work out every day that we have shows. Uh, the ring is already set up in the morning. In the afternoon, they, I mean, they start working out around the ring, you know, squats, uh, wrestle. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's a training, training time, training time. Yeah. So let me ask you, uh, jumping ahead to your time in the WWE, uh, I know that you uh, worked some matches with Owen Hart. And Owen was a guy that was legendary in the wrestling business for the the ribs, the pranks that he would play on the guys. Could you share any Owen Hart stories with us of your time working with him? Man, uh, when I when I met Owen, it was in the streets of uh, uh, Japan. 
uh, he was with Marta. They just they just married, uh, I believe so. And uh, they, I met him right on the, on the street. I'm, I'm, I was on my way to the Kyo Plaza Hotel. This was with uh, 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 New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, I met him right there, uh, knowing that in a few years, I went, you know, I went to WWF and, and be with him there, work with him there. Yes, Owen was a, a, a river big time. He uh, be around him. You have to laugh. What in any moment he gonna make you laugh, brother? Because he was he was like that. Uh, I remember one time he ripped he ripped uh, Lex Luger in one of the arenas. Uh, he started ripping uh, Luger. I don't know about what. Finally, they leave him, but Owen wait till the, uh, the, the the match finish and the crowd still you know coming out and leg i remember he was telling let's go let's go and he was furious because he want to beat the traffic and owen have the plan already nobody knows so now it's time to leave when the traffic is right there so when when they leave the arena owen uh, uh i don't know what he did the police stop them, they put on a side, and they tell them the license and registration. Owen says, fuck off. And the police <laughs> say, what, what do you say? This is, this is to Lex Luger. This is to Lex Luger. He said, what do you say? He said, no, no, I'll say nothing. Owen, shut up. You know, so when he's looking for his stuff, he said, I said, fuck off. <laughs> so he's, he ordered Lex to get out of the car. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. Always shut the hell up. Now the crowd is already, you know, the traffic is right there. He put, he he make uh, uh, legs, put the hands in behind in the uh, trunk and stay right there. Uh, and he just killing time. And Owen from inside, he's yelling bad words. And uh, was a rape. The cop was uh, on Owen's side. Uh, <laughs> and awesome. they rip, they rip, uh, they rip Alex Luger big time. He was furious with with Owen, but I mean everything was a rip. <laughs> One time we are in Singapore, and we got mini, uh, what is it called, uh, uh, mini doink, mini doink. He's from Canada too, and uh, I help him in that. I help him and Davy Boy. Uh, we grab the midget and we sit in, sit him in a, in a, a office chair with the wheels. And we put duct tape all around him, <laughs> and we <laughs> we tape it up to the chair. He cannot move, and I was a hallway, big hallway in, in the arena, and uh, we just playing with him left and right. Uh, <laughs> we have a mind throwing to to the fans, but uh, was a little risky. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> one and another time uh, uh, was a rip of me. Uh, simple, you know, I, I'm, man, like I say, you, you just arrive and he's at the airport and look, you, soon you see him, you're going to start laughing, you know, because something going to happen. Now we are, we coming from Allentown uh, Arena the, the, at the university. It was rain, it was uh, snow in the grass and I'm, I'm driving, coming down and I stopped right here because I saw a deer on my right side. It was a small, on a small uh, uh, road. On my right side, and the seat is uh, Jim D'Ambil Neihardt and always in the back. The light and the car is on inside. I'm driving. I saw the deer, so I stopped. And uh, uh, Jim said, no, that's okay. Go, go, go. 
So when, when I, I start to go, Owen turned the light off and hit the ceiling. Boom. And he started yelling, oh, my God, you hit it. You hit it. Hit the, the ceiling. <laughs> and he, he, make a, he, he make a big, you know, show. I'm, yeah. I stopped the car. I said, oh, no, man, where's that? Where's that? And, and when I turned to my right side to, you know, looking left and right, when I saw the face of uh, Jim, Jim is looking at me and he said, Oh, don't don't tell me you fall down for that. I said no. I said, oh, when you son of a gun, you know, I, I, it's my hey. This is my first deer in the street. I'm in the United States, and uh, the deer jump and you know supposed to hit the, but was Owen all the way. Man, he was a uh, loving, loving guy. Uh, I mean, I worked with him a few times. Have blast inside the ring. We have great matches. Uh, man. Well, let me uh, ask you. Uh, what you, you, you've been in the business for like 35 plus years. Have you ever met anybody on Owen's level as a river? Man, well, heavy, heavy river with the stories that I hear was Mr. Fuji. But, uh, you know, uh, Owen was the best. Owen, I mean, there's nobody, nobody like him that I know, I, that I know not. And I've, I've heard some of the Mr. Fuji ribs, and they seemed to Ooh. cross the line a little bit. <laughs> Just a tad. No. Just a little. They Just were a not. little over the line. Brother. Yeah. Brother. Gotcha. Uh, well, I, this is the one. Uh, let me tell you what this one. Uh, and, and he told me that. We are uh, one time at the arena, and he's uh, telling jokes about things that he did. He, we went to that, that tour in Singapore. Brother, he said, eh, it's quiet. He said, quiet, quiet. I said, yes. I say. You see that man right there? He said, yes. I thought he died. I come here, he said, 20, 20 million years ago. You know, I say, I come here uh, such a, such a time, and uh, we are next to, he's next to my room. So we, after the match, we went to drink, and I get him drunk, big time drunk. When he was already passed out, he went to his room, locked his door, and went to sleep. Next day, we wake up and leaving to the hotel, to the airport. We live in Singapore. He is sit down outside. He <laughs> said, I went to his room and his bed was shit all over the place. <laughs> he was all covered in shit. I said, what happened? He said, well, when we arrived, I went to his room, unlocked the window, says, you know, locked. So I went to my room. So when I get him drunk, I went from the window inside to his room, and I shit in his chest. He said, <laughs> I took a dump in his chest. So I guess he's sleeping. He's moving left and right, drunk, whatever. <laughs> so he spread out. The... And he said, I said, you did not. He said, yes. And that's why he don't understand. And he asked me how you did it. How the hell you did it? So he unlocked the window. That's why he went inside and did what he did. And because the door is locked inside. That's why the guy is like, how the hell you did that? That's going I mean, a long was, way for a rib. My God. He paint him and, and, and Tanaka. He told me that they paint some guy. I don't know who. We, we paint. And he, the guy almost died. Because of the, he can breathe. Something happened with the guy's. Uh, you know, with the paint, uh, he almost killed the pe the person. Oh wow! Uh, he feed, wow. he feed. Uh, he he was training. He say, uh, uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Roth and and Jose Estrada. You know, when they are in WWF, 
And uh, one time he, he trained with the guys and he brings some sandwiches. Here, here. And the guy was eating the tuna sandwich. When he pulled out was the uh, cat, cat meat. You know, he feed the guy with the cat meat. Oh, you crazy. Yikes. I say, I'm not going to eat nothing coming from you. No. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, hey, we, we are absolutely oh. thrilled. We have Savio Vega, Quang, TNT, joining us today, coming all the way from the beautiful island of Puerto Rico, but going to be in, on our soil. He's going to be in uh, Connecticut coming up October the 23rd with Captain's Corner. He'll be doing one of those famous happy hour live events with the captain. That'll take place Saturday night, the October the 23rd, beginning at 9 p.m. Uh, if you are in Connecticut or any of the neighboring states, New Jersey, New York, uh, I'm in Philadelphia, and I'm going to make the trip up there. Uh, Savio Vega and a host of, of professional wrestlers, Bob Backlund, Sergeant Slaughter, Jacques Rougeau, uh, just a real host of names, all going to be at the Wrestling Classic taking place in the Doubletree Hartford in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, and that is coming up on October the 24th. What I want to know, Savia, maybe we can figure this one out. In Connecticut, there are a lot of Puerto Rican women. How do we get them to come to this event? Well, he, right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Chicas. Y chicos, obviamente, pero para las chicas que me están escuchando en este momento, tenemos un evento tremendo, Tío Sabio Vega, desde acá, desde Puerto Rico. Va a estar ahí. Where is the, where is the address? Uh, <laughs> you got to give me a second on that one. <laughs> Keep on going. Okay, and I'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yes, yeah, I'll do, I'll do. Eh, Me están escuchando, van a darnos la dirección exactamente <laughs> donde es el sitio. Así que voy a estar allá en esa área de Connecticut, filmando autógrafo, tomándome fotos con ustedes. Eh, va a buscar la dirección de donde va a estar Tío Sabio Vega. Así que saludos, saludos a todos ustedes de acá de Puerto Rico. Oye, esto es para todos los latinoamericanos también. Muchas bendiciones. Sabe que le damos un support a todos los que son luchadores de Centro y Suramérica. Eh, es los hispanos, los mexicanos, bueno, todo. Chile, Perú, Ecuador, Guatemala, eh, Brasil, toda esta gente, Colombia. Eh, tenemos amistades donde quiera, eh, Costa Rica. Así que bendiciones, bendiciones a todos ustedes. Eh, la gente de Panamá, que no se me quede si lo dije, pero eh, estamos hablando de que Oye, hay muchos luchadores y los, y los espero. You got the address? I do. It is, uh, boy, it's a complicated one. It's 16 Ella okay. T. Grasso Turnpike, Windsor Locks, Connecticut, which is a suburb of Hartford, Connecticut. Zip code is 06096. All right. Ahí la tienen. Esa es la dirección. Espero que, que la estén escuchando y que, y que vengan para acá. Que echen para acá. Dios me los bendiga a todos. You know, Barry. I, I did the promotion. You know, Barry, <laughs> yes. I think that was even better, uh, a better use of the Spanish promo than our friend, the Cuban assassin did. And I was going to actually oh. do that. I was actually going to do that I, exact I, promo. But Barry, as you well know, in the Espanol, all I know, Savio, is the malas palabras. So, you know, I, okay. I, I know, I hey, know the Cuban, bad words. Cuban assassin. Cuban assassin. That's my brother. Love that guy. Fidel Sierra. Yes. So, well, I tell you, uh, Savio, we had a great time talking with you. We want all our friends and fans to go out and uh, greet Savio, greet all the other great wrestlers uh, that you grew up watching or that you still watch today. Uh, take advantage of this, as Barry always says. It's always great to see the heroes of today and the heroes of your past. And so you really should take advantage of this. Savio, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to do something guys, that, Barry that Barry Rose usually does. Guys, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me let me throw this one. I need to I need to do it, please. Please. I have ahead. a show this Saturday. 
I have a show this Saturday. Este sábado, this Saturday, 16. It starts at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. here in Puerto Rico. And you can watch it by iPay-Per-View. And you go on prticket.online. prticket.online. Uh, right there, you could buy your pass. And at 8 o'clock, you, you, you put that pass in your, in your computer. And you're going to watch the iPay-Per-View from Puerto Rico. It's in Guaynabo, Puerto Rico. Start at 8 o'clock, 8 de la noche. Uh, IWA Puerto Rico. You could check that and all the, the websites, IWA Puerto Rico. And this Saturday, the name of the show is Golpe de Estado. And uh, it's going to be hot. I have from MLW, Richard Holiday, and I have uh, Jacob Fatou. It's going oh. to those shows. So, hey, nobody can miss this show this Saturday in IP per view. Get your ticket or get your pass on prticket.com. Oh, and by the way, Savio, yes. one of our listeners, uh -huh. Jesus Salas Rodriguez, is in Puerto Rico. Do you not have a message for Jesus? Sí, I got a message for Jesus. Jesus, te habla tío Savio Vega, y tú sabes quién yo soy. Yo espero que tú vengas el sábado al Coliseo Mario Quijote Morales, donde tenemos golpe de estado. Si tú no vas, papá, esta gente me ha dado una encomienda. Tienen, tienen hasta qué hiciste hace cinco minutos atrás. Así que, pana. Nada, Dios te bendiga, papi. Síguenos a nosotros, ido a Puerto Rico. Las cosas siguen a nuestra manera o para la calle. Bendiciones. Barry, what other podcast on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network <laughs> gives you that sort of service? <laughs> a personalized message from Tio Savio Vega. That's Savio pretty good Vega. stuff. Yes. So, Savio, yes, as Barry often does, I'm going to ask you, will you come back? Will you join us again in the near future? Yes, of course. Of course. Absolutely. You got well, my we, number? You know, do? you know who to call. Okay, we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. Bless you guys. Thank you. Barry, always a pleasure to be joined by our old friend Nick Massey with Captain's Corner. Nick is always so generous, Barry, and hooking us up with uh, some of his friends, some of the guests that he has at his appearances. And I will say that, Barry, I think you can agree with me. The guests that we have here on Barry, can give you a better Barry. Hey, you don't get those kind of guests anywhere else in the podcast universe, do you, my man? No, you don't. It's, you know, something Nick has been gracious to us really for the last four years. And I, I tell Nick all the time, you know, the wrestling business and, and even when you get to fan fest and all this other stuff, there's a lot of shady characters that are involved. And uh, Nick is an honest stand up guy. You will never hear a negative word about Nick or any of his dealings. And if you do, you have to consider the source on with that. I, I trust him. Uh, and that's why we have him. You know, that's why we have all of his guests on here, because we know Nick is going to be delivering a quality product uh, er each and every time. But, Nick, you got this big event coming up and this is this is going to be a huge event. Now, you, you've only run one other event, if I'm correct, on your own, which was at Markout at the Meadowlands, correct? Correct. Yeah, this, this is my second standalone convention. Right. Uh, Markout on the Meadowlands. April 2019 uh, was the first one. I know you were there, Barry. We did a bunch of awesome interviews leading up to that. But I know uh, Butch Reed, rest in peace, uh, Tito Santana, a uh, few others. But I believe Stan Hansen, too, right? Yeah, Stan Hansen, one of my favorites because he had his grandbaby on his lap. And uh, we asked him if, if she cries or gets out of control, would he be giving her the lariat? So that uh that interview always stands out but we had danny spivey there was a, a host of talent yeah. that you provided to us 
And 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 you're right. This uh, the, that that was a fantastic show, and I, I'm just as pumped, if not more pumped, about October 24th that the the DoubleTree Hartford and Windsor Locks. Uh, you know, you've had some great guests recently uh, on, and uh, we've got a bunch more that's going to be uh, you know meeting everyone uh, from 10 to 3 on October 24th. So I know, I know I'm going to be there. I am actually, uh, I've already made it. I'm going to be in, I'm coming from Washington, D.C. I will be in D.C. And then I'm going to shoot straight up. Yeah, and I'm going to shoot straight up on Saturday <laughs> night. And uh, I figured it's my birthday weekend. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Oh, oh really? A, just going to oh, drop yeah. that on the uh, listeners. Huh? Oh, by the way, my, my <laughs> yeah, birthday. And, and, please uh, bring gifts. Yeah. Please bring anybody <laughs> showing up. Yes, exactly. And this is a big one for me, Jeff. It's my 58th, which you know in, in our world is a big number. So, yes, please. And if it's food, I'm even happier. But yeah, you've got some great, some great talent, some great, you know, you've got, first off, you've got Adnan L. Casey. And uh, I, Adnan L. Casey, to me, Bill, Chief Billy White Wolf in the WWF. But here's a guy that his his pro wrestling career goes back to the early 1960s when he was a, uh, a baby face right out of college. But th this guy was a, a college wrestling star. He was a superstar in college in the 1950s. How did, how were you able to secure Adnan L. Casey? Well, uh, I'm very fortunate. And then, uh, I, I, I am, uh, bringing in a bunch of unique talent myself. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, of course, one of our headliners, uh, Adam bomb, uh, the Mountie Jacques Rougeau, who I know the listeners have heard recently on an uh, episode of Breaking Kayfabe. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm also fortunate to have a bunch of great uh, members of the team that are, you know, beefing up the show. And one of those vendors is my buddy Marty from Team Up Promotions. And he's bringing in General Adnan for a very rare uh, mainland appearance. Adnan is, uh, is in Hawaii right now, and he doesn't, he doesn't come to the mainland often. So uh, he will be coming uh, from team, courtesy of Team Promotions, along with his uh, one of his best friends, Ken Resnick, and they'll be part of our vendor room, uh, along with uh, dozens of other guests. So uh, I'm excited about because uh, you know I, I know uh, you guys specialize in in all things wrestling, but uh, I know that uh, th we're doing a very rare photo op of the the 1990-91 uh, Sergeant Slaughter General Adnan. Oh, uh, uh, run they have the WWF. So that's, I believe it, it might be the first time that's happened in, in quite a while. So that's going to be one of the featured, uh, you know, uh, photo opportunities at the wrestling classes. Yeah, that's good stuff. So let me ask you, you know, you, you had the mark out at the Meadowlands, you have this big event coming. Is there anybody out there from wrestling's past or maybe current wrestlers who you you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, I'd next time I have one of these big shows, I'd really like to get that guy or maybe that woman. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been fortunate and I've, I've worked with a few hundred guests now over the last uh, six or seven years. But of course, there's always uh, uh, people that I'm looking forward to working with. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you guys uh, a, hot, a hot scoop right now. Uh, oh, Barry, December he's breaking 18th, kayfabe. Uh-oh. I, I, I'll break kayfabe with you guys because on December 18th, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, I know someone that Barry had, Barry's had as a guest at the CWF Legends Fan Fest, He's going to be headlining the Captain's Christmas Party 2, December 18th, with Hall of Famer Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Wow. So this is Good my guess. first time. My first, yeah, oh, God, what, what a guy, what a talent, what a career Ricky's had. Uh, I, of course, met him before in passing, but this is my first time working with him. So he was about as high as it got on my want list, uh, boys. And, uh, you know, just the fact that I'm going to have him on December 18th, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, uh, um, I, that just came out so organically, you know, uh, 
glad I was able to drop the scoop here. But um, the, besides Ricky, I would also love to, w- to work with Kevin Von Erich. He's someone, he, he doesn't make a lot of appearances anymore, you know, on, on the mainland. So I would love to work with Kevin. Uh, I'd love to work with, uh, you know, uh, when, when the heat uh, dies down a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe uh, one nature boy, Ric Flair. Uh, there, there's a bunch of guys. And then, you know, it, it spans into maybe the little more, uh, you know, I'd love to work with someone like a Jesse Barr. So maybe he didn't have, uh, you know, as much time in the national spotlight at Steamboat, Kevin Von Erich and Flair, but, you know, guys like Jesse Barr and uh, uh, Nails, Kevin Kelly, th- those are the guys that I, I want to work with just as much as, uh, you know, guys like Flair and Steamboat. So, uh, yeah, there's still a ton of guys on my want list, uh, but, you know, we're crossing Ricky off for December 18th, Captain's Christmas Bar too. So I, I've actually reached out to Jesse Barr for CWF Legends Fan Fest, and uh, I believe his current employment, he works six days a week. He's often on a barge, so he's offshore for weeks at a time, so he couldn't commit. But he was interested, I thought. Steamboat, as, and I believe that was the event that you were at, right, Nick? Was Steamboat headlining? Sure, sure it was. Yeah, yes, that sir. was, yes, I think, the Steamboat uh, Q&A uh, from everything I've heard and, and certainly what I saw of it was maybe our finest hour. It was incredible. Probably this is the what moderator. I, uh, had you, well, what, a, what an amazing job moderating too, Jeff. Let me just throw that out there. But, <laughs> but I got to say. Scott Casey, so, Scott Casey didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. Yes, I, you're right about I, that. Uh, I've I'm, I'm only busted your chops, Jeff. <laughs> I got you. I got the joke. Trust me. Yes. And I don't know if anybody else outside of the three of us got that, but the three of us definitely got it. But so we're talking about their guests and, and your wish list and the fact that you are able to sometimes you have got a guest coming up for this event uh, taking place in you know a week and a half or so that I don't think has ever made a fan fest appearance ever and has literally been off the radar the last 25 or 30 years. How did you find how did you stumble upon Man Mountain Rock? Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Some people know him as Man Mountain Rock. I know a lot of people know him as Max Payne. So um, I have uh, I have moles and people that do a lot of, uh, you know, independent research uh, for guys that, that I'm looking for. And uh, one of my partners actually was able to stumble upon a number for Max. And, and to be honest, I've probably had 10 to 12 different numbers for him over the last five or six years. And, and he's either never picked up for him or, you know, they've been out of service. So... I, I didn't, I, when he told me he had a max number that, that was apparently good, I, not that I didn't believe him, but it was one of those, uh, we'll, we'll see when we get something worked out. So sure enough, uh, my buddy Kevin, shout out to Killer Kev, he wound up uh, talking to Max for about an hour, their first conversation. And we told Max that we were looking to do it. Max actually is in the process of uh, finishing, I believe, some movie project or a documentary project. Uh, that's coming out in 2022. So he, before, uh, you know, that starts consuming him fully with promoting that he was, he was able to hear out what we said and just tell him how, how many people are interested in seeing him. And he was willing to give it a shot. And, uh, you know, it was just, obviously there was some handholding because the process is so new to him. And because he hasn't done anything wrestling related, like you said, Barry, you know, over 25 years now, I think he retired in 96 or 97. So, it's a different situation to him than where he left it, but yeah, he's going to be making his first appearance at the Wrestling Classic. We're actually doing a, that's going to be his first public appearance. We're doing a virtual signing two nights before that that we're uh, cleverly calling Midnight with Max because we're going oh. from 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 
to, until midnight on October 22nd. That's going to be a virtual signing. But yeah, Max, Max is excited about, you know, seeing a lot of his old friends. We, he was really close with Adam Baum. Uh, so he's really excited about seeing Adam Baum. He'll be, you know, at the Wrestling Classic as well. And uh, we're excited to have him on board. So that's, that was uh, one of the, the big names, uh, the shocking names that I had up my sleeve when we started planning, planning the show. So, Nick, you said that you have a lot of moles out there. I'm just going to say that uh, I've been told by my friend Barry Rose, he has some moles a little suspicious of nature. And so he's going to have those checked out, though. But once again, we want to thank that went over like <laughs> a do, do, do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I wrote that joke down about six hours ago. Uh, Nick, once again, why don't you tell the good folks uh, one last time when the event is, where they can find it, how they can get there. And uh, the fact that there'll be a public appearance by Lord Barron's himself, Barry Rose. Barry, will you be signing autographs also? I will be signing autographs, taking photos. Nick, I have to ask you, too. Is the hotel dog friendly? Do we know or, or you're unaware of that? Oh, I, 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 know, I know you had said you were going to look into that. So I thought you would. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest. It's, it's, a, it's a Hilton uh, hotel, you know, Doubletree. I don't know what their, their stance is typically on that. But I know that most of the people in the hotel will be excited to see Ozzy if he's Absolutely. there on October 24th. Yep. Now, so, uh, I know yeah. Barry won't be, but will Ozzy, Nick, be compensated for his appearance? <laughs> oh, we, we, we've got we've got nothing but the best in biscuits. Dog yeah, biscuits. You know, there you go. Say, Ozzy is the big star of the family. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Yes. As long as you have French fries. <laughs> if you've got French fries, Ozzy isn't good. And as I say that, Ozzy comes from the other room to now stare at me because I'm saying French fries. But uh, <laughs> Ozzy will. I, I don't know if Ozzy will be at the convention. Uh, but Ozzy will be in Connecticut if anybody does want to meet him. He just may not actually be at the convention. But I'm real excited, Nick. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to hang out again as well. I am, too. And, you know, for everyone that's with, you know, within within 100 to 200 miles of the area, they can go to the Wrestling Classic, CT.com, the Wrestling Classic, CT.com. They can get all the ticket information. General admission tickets start as low as $15. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Adam Baum, Man Mountain Rock, General Adnan, Bob Backlund, Tito Santana, uh, Savio Vega, uh, who you guys have had on very recently. Uh, it, it, it's really, it's a list, it's a list, a guest list I'm proud to be a part of. And uh, I want to give New England a, a wrestling convention that, you know, they'll want to attend. And I think we're doing that October 24th at the Double Tree Hartford. And please mention to all the people there that you, uh, you heard about the convention here on Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. In the corner, begin for the old go home. Another fun week here. Breaking cafe with Adrian and Barry. Oh, nice interview with Savio Vega. Great guy, by the way. Uh, you know, just uh, we, we had never even neither one of us had ever met him. Nick Massey hooked him up, hooked him up with us, and uh, just a great guy, Bear. He was. It's you know what? It's uh, and I got it. We don't really, you know, give ourselves credit because that that's douchebagish. But uh, I think in the last Sean Michaelis, it is Sean Michaelis. But I think in the last few months, we have really kind of come into our own when it comes to wrestling interviews. And as you like to point out, which is accurate and uh, makes the most sense, we don't want to do the typical wrestling interview. We don't want to ask questions. We didn't bring up uh, Bruiser Brody being killed with Savio or anything like that, but we're asking him all these other questions. And, uh, and he was forthcoming. He was honest. 
even talked about uh, Titanus, you know, the, the Argentinian yeah. wrestling promotion. Jeff, had you ever seen Titanus before? I have not. I, I kind of want to see the uh, the white mummy versus the black mummy. You know? yeah, I don't, <laughs> and I don't remember the black. I remember the white, the La Momia, I guess, yeah. in Spanish. But so they used to air this in South Florida because I, I would assume they were airing this wherever there was a heavy Latin population. It is the best way I can describe it. And I'll tell you, Vandal Drummond is an expert at Titanus, but uh, on, yeah, but it, it, it was glow, but featuring men instead of women. That's exactly what it was. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was a fun, that plus of course, two great matches of the week, Florida man or not Barry, you went one for one, very well, proud of you. I sprung right. that on you unannounced. All right. Yeah. So until next week, I will let you know that breaking cave about it and Barry kind of screwed that one up there just a little bit. Hey, production the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For my co-host, Barry Rosen, our producer, the sweet man, scam likely, Lou Kippelman. I am Jeff Bowder, and they call me the booker. Take it home, Lou!